Okay, so tonight, Bezra Hashem, we're going to be continuing with our series of Shirim on the teachings of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. And this is going to be the third and final introductory shear before we spend the rest of the weeks on Rabbi Nachman focusing on particular Torahs from the Sefer Lukutimaran. Now, the idea that we're going to try and describe or try and share or try and express properly, hopefully, tonight is something that I've tried to hint to in my own language over the last two weeks, Jerem, which is the unique nature of the Sefer Lukuti Maharan, the collected teachings of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. Now, Kuli al Malopligi, nobody disagrees that there's a deeper value in connecting to the tzaddik beyond words, whether it's by visiting a kever or whether it's by connecting to the experience of the tzaddik, being a Talmud of the tzaddik when the tzaddik is still alive. Those are certainly the byways and the pathways through which his kashras to tzaddikim actually takes place. To see, as Rabbi Nachman describes so poignantly in the 19th teaching of Lukut Maharan, that to see your face in the face of the tzaddik, to recognize your place or the tzaddik within you by engaging in a face-to-face relationship. It's a famous Maisa, not famous, it's famous in my mind, but the Chudush Harim of Gur, Talmud of the Avni Nezer, I'm sorry, the Talmud of the Katzgarebi, rather, that he saw a certain, certain Hasidim peeking to try and gaze at the face of the Chudush Harim. And the Chudush Harim had a Shamish bring this Jew over, and he said, what exactly are you doing? Why are you making a fool of yourself? And this Chassid said, it's stayed in the Svarim, it says in the Sefer Or Chayim HaKadosh, that to look at the face of a tzaddik is to be mezachich upon him, is to clarify the face of yourself. It brings kedusha, it brings tara, it brings holiness. And the Chedush Arim said, the Pasuk says, Amich Kulam Tzadikim, we're all tzaddikim. Better not to waste your time looking at anybody but yourself. And so while we don't have access to looking at the face of Rabbi Nachman, History has decided, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has decided that we don't know what Rabbi Nachman looks like. We know what his empty chair looks like, which is some sort of poetic justice, at least in terms of how we relate to Rabbi Nachman. That Rabbi Nachman is a deep presence in the lives of those who connect to him and his ideas and his Torah. Yet nevertheless, it's an enigmatic presence. It's a presence that can't be grasped to the point that you can say who's sitting in the chair, but you know that there's a chair there. You know that there's somebody who once sat there trying to teach Torah at a tish and trying to awaken the world and our own souls from our slumber. In the absence of the capacity to connect to the tzaddik, panim lepanim, so what the Jewish people have done, or what the people who are mekushar to Rabbi Nachman of Breslov have done, if they tried to be mekushar to him through his kever, through his grave, now this is certainly not something that started with Rabbi Nachman or the Baal Shem Tov. This is something we find in Chazal, something we find in the Chumash, when Yehoshua and Kalev go out to protect themselves against the Ayin Hara of the Maraglim, we see that they find themselves in Hebron, Yer Shechur Belayaktav, the place where they had the capacity to connect to the Avos HaKadoshim, to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. So the idea of connecting to a tzaddik even after, death, after their death by visiting their resting place and being Mishtateach on the Kever and creating some sort of union by way of a distance. So that's already something that is known and muskam and mukubal and 
accepted. Anybody who wants a clarification or clarity on any of the things they may be confused on, I highly recommend reading the Kuntras Hashtachavus, the Kuntras of Praying at Gravesites written by the Mitla Rebbe, Rav Dov Bershnirsen, the second generation of Admori Chabad. But beyond the Kever of Rabbi Nachman, beyond the town of Uman, beyond the mysterious sugya of Uman and the mysterious sugya of Uman Sheb Yerushalayim that different tzaddikim are beginning to discuss, Kuli Almalo Pligi, that if you can't find yourself connecting to the tzaddik, either Panim Lapanim, or through the Kirvus, the, the Kirva, the closeness that comes through the Kever, which shares the same osios of Karev and Kever, that the grave of the tzaddik, the, the resting place of the tzaddik, allows for a certain form of connection to the tzaddik by way of the memory of the tzaddik, of zecher tzaddik lebracha, that the memory of a tzaddik already becomes a blessing in the person's life. Kuli pligi that there's another resting place for Rabbi Nachman. And that resting place is a sefer. That, yes, the body of Rabbi Nachman may be found in Uman. The spirit of Rabbi Nachman may be found in Yerushalayim. Ultimately, what is without argument is that Sikhlo v'nishmaso, the mind, and the soul of Rabbi Nachman was placed within the text itself. That for Rabbi Nachman and for Rabbi Nassim, the fact that there's a safer of collected teachings is not a simple thing. This was not something that Rabbi Nachman necessarily had planned. A person who looks at the writings in Chaye Maharan the biography, the spiritual biography, one of the most profound places in the library of Breslov that contains secrets about Rabbi Nachman, secrets that are whispered sometimes. It's a sefer that went through a lot of editing and censorship. Yet nevertheless, we have that sefer in our hands. And the sefer Chaim Maharan, specifically in the Osios, Reish Shin Mem and, and forward, Shin Mem to basically Shin Ayin Aleph from 340 to about 371, those particular points discuss the Romumus Taraso Vesifro, the greatness of the Sefer, the greatness of the book in his Torah. And in those Makoros, in those sources, a person finds this almost fantastical, remarkable description of what this book is. Not only is this book only a shemetz or a taste of the wisdom of what Rabbi Nachman could have conveyed to the world. But this book provides something even on an unconscious level. Like many other svarim, like the, the holiness of the Noyam Elimelech or the Sefer Zohar, the Sefer itself is considered a segula. It's considered a secret gift that doesn't operate by way of rational logic. Meaning to say that it's not even necessary for a person to necessarily rationally or spiritually understand what is written in this book. But it's enough to know that the book exists. It's enough to know that there is a collection of teachings from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, Rabbi Nachman ben Fega, that exists in the world so that a person can be inflamed with the flames of faith that such teachings exist. There's an incredibly interesting makor in the beginning of those nekudos in Chaim Haran where Rabbi Nassim writes as follows. He says, Really, Lukutim Maran was never anything that Rabbi Nachman planned on publishing in the world, certainly not in his lifetime. What Rabbi Nachman had truly planned on doing was creating a Kitzur Shulchan Aruch of sorts, a guidebook to define the practical application of halacha, 
the minutia of halacha, the day-to-day engagement of an individual. Nothing esoteric, nothing mystical, simply the end result of halachic discourse. And Rabbi Nachman said, that was really my plan all along, to put out a book like that. But Shemayim has arranged that Lakuta Maran came out first, so I'll settle with that. What I think this teaching can tell us a little bit about the Sefer Lakuta Maran is that a person can be amazed by the chidushim, by the novelty contained within the Sefer Lakuta Maran, contained within this small book. A person can be driven to amazement by the chidushim in the writings of the Arizal, chidushim on the writings of the Zohar, a complete control of halachic texts and mystical texts and the writings of Chazal. Those are all things that remain spectacular in the book of Lakuta Maharan. The hermeneutical principles, the way that Rabbi Nachman navigates difficulties and creates pathways that a person could have never imagined existed between one idea and another, that's also enough to drive a person mad, to force a person to study the book of Lukut Maran, the collected teachings of Rabbi Nachman, intensely. But ultimately, what Rabbi Nachman is saying with this keta, with this statement, that really all I wanted to do was write a Kitzur Shulchan Aruch. All I wanted to do was create a rule book, a book of halachic observance, how to function as a human being, as a Jewish individual in the day-to-day. But because the Kutem Iran came out first, so I'll settle with that. What I think Rabbi Nachman is trying to say on a small level is that don't be seduced necessarily by the novelty or the complications of my teachings, but my book is coming to speak something even deeper. Something deeper and certainly more simple than the mystical speculation or the philosophical confusion that a person may confront when learning the Sefer of Lukutimaran, Rabbi Nachman was trying to bring into the world a rule book, a book that gives Eitzah, a book that gives the final suggestion of how to function as a human being. Now, Rabbi Nachman's initial interest was to do this by way of a halachic Sefer, but kachava, that Shemayim was misavev hadvarim, that the destiny of things and HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Ratzon arranged for it that Lukuta Maran came out first before Rabbi Nachman could carry out his true wish to write a, a Kitzur Shulchan Orach of sorts. So now we have this rule book, now we have this guidebook, now we have this book of suggestions that ultimately beyond their mystification and beyond their confusion and beyond the genius of it and beyond the novelty and beyond the tanum, the pleasure, the speculative pleasure, what Hasidus Chabad on the art side of the, the Alter Rebbe of Shner Zaman of the Adi would say is ta'anug ha'seichel, the pleasure of the mind by engaging in the speculation of Torah that's ultimately not the main goal of the Sefer of Lukut Maran. The main goal of the Sefer Lukut Maran is to convey to the Jewish individual who chooses to listen to Rabbi Nachman, who finds themselves on the Shvil Men Hatzad, on that hidden path to the side. As Rabbi Nachman tells us in the beginning of the Sefer, in the beginning of Sipor Maisios, the first Sefer, the first Sipor, the story of the lost princess, Avedas Bas Melech, and when speaking about the Viceroy, when speaking about this soul that is thrown down into the world to recapture the lost princess, 
to recapture the lost sense of significance, to recapture that lost sense of certitude that can provide us with some solace in a world that is not only behester, but it's a hester, b'seicha hester, that the viceroy's journey begins not on the well-troven path, but rather on the shvil min hatzad, Rabbi Nachman writes. It's a path to the side, covered in thicket and confusion, and appearing to the rest of the world as a deviation or an interruption to the proper path. But ultimately, those of us who found ourselves on that path of interruption, on that path that seems to be so distant from the main thoroughfare, where most human beings and most individuals can walk along and traverse their entire lives, finding the significance that they need to settle their minds, there's certain neshamos from the time of Rabbi Nachman, from the time of the creation of the world, all the way to the time of Mashiach, that will be looking for something else. That won't find themselves on that general path, on that derech hamelech, on that path that is well trodden and we know exactly what comes next. Rabbi Nachman, for many of us, is a guide of sorts, a trailblazer, someone who shows us that, yes, there's a hidden path over here that you can walk down. And you'll find what you need. I know, says Rabbi Nachman, that you won't find what you need on that path. But this path, this Shvil Menatzad, I'm going to help blaze this path, and I'm going to carry you through this path. Now, I don't believe that this path, this Shvil Menatzad, is any different than what we discussed last week of the Gesher Tzarmaod, of the very narrow bridge. When Rabbi Nachman announces that this entire world is a very narrow bridge, what he's stating is a number of assumptions. A bridge serves to bridge the unbridgeable. A bridge's purpose is to connect to the end of one thing and the beginning of something else, that without the bridge it would be unimaginable as to how we could get across. Prior to the bridge being present, the abyss that descends down to the nether realms, that descends infinitely into the Tahoim Shaloh Yada into that abysmal space where a person's mind loses its comfort. It's impossible for us to even conceive of giving over to the other side, of how to start again after falling a thousand times. How to start again even when our restart is a failure. How to renew ourselves even when renewal feels so dreadfully and painfully old. Comes along Rabbi Nachman and he says, there's a very narrow bridge. It doesn't look like the big thoroughfare. It doesn't look like that general bridge that most people walk down. But it's a bridge nonetheless, and it's a very narrow bridge. And I promise you that if you follow this path, if you follow this Gesher Tsar Ma'od Ma'od, this very, very narrow bridge, ultimately you will get to the other side. You will find that within old age, within the death of things, one can find renewal. Within the loss of hope, one can find hope. And within that untraceable and ungraspable promise that we can cross over from where we are to where we would like to be, Rabbi Nachman says, the only thing that you need to remember is not to be afraid. The bridge exists, the Shvil Manatzad exists. But you have to not be afraid. And this spirit, this spiritual quest that Rabbi Nachman opened up, it looks to many people as if it died with him. It's not by mistake that historically the misnagdim towards Breslov, 
the great hisnagdus towards Breslov, the violent hisnagdus towards Breslov, to the point that Rabbi Nelson describes assassination attempts on his life, the burning and the arson of shuls by fellow students or travelers of the Derech of the Balshemtov. There was a hisnagdus that is unimaginable. And it's not by chance that the, the Breslov or Hasidim were referred to by many of their belittlers or the scoffers towards their path as the Toiter Hasidim, as the dead Hasidim, as the Hasidus of death. One of the historical reasons was because Rabbi Nachman didn't leave a continuity towards his path. There was no holy nepotism. There was no child to carry out the path as much as Rabbi Nachman had hoped that his son, would have redeemed the entire world. Ultimately, there was no living heir. And so the Hisnagdas saw this and they said, There's no need to, to speak against the Hisnagdas, but history has finally shown who was right and who was wrong. And Hasidus Breslov is very much alive. Now, I don't think the phraseology of Toiter Hasidim is still entirely wrong. Rabbi Nachman was a Vada, one of the only tzaddikim who was willing to look death in the face and laugh. Rabbi Nachman was one of the only tzaddikim who was capable of staring death down, looking at the Malach HaMavas, like Moshe Rabbeinu did. And not only surviving, but forcing the Malach HaMavas to provide us with gifts. Like Chazal tell us by Moshe Rabbeinu that the secret of Ketairas the secret of Ketairus was taken from the Malach HaMavas, Bizman HaMagefa. The secret of Ketairus, which is the secret of how the lowest imaginable place is still the resting place for the highest imaginable place. How yesh inyan These secrets are the secrets of the Malach HaMavas. These secrets are the secrets of what Chazal describe as Tov Ma'od Ze Yitzhahara. Tov Ma'od Ze Malach HaMavas. That Tov Ma'od that very good, that is even greater than good, is the Gesher Tsar Ma'od Ma'od, that very, very narrow bridge. The bridge of Rabbi Nachman, the Shilman Atzad of Rabbi Nachman, forces us to come face to face with the possibility of experiencing Ma'od Ma'od, the enhancement of things beyond their imaginable level. The experience of light specifically where light shouldn't be found. And yes, Rabbi Nachman died. At a very young age, born in 1772, dead in 1810, his physical body died from a horrific disease of tuberculosis. 37 years old, we're talking about, 37 years on this earth. And this is what Rabbi Nachman has given us, a path that still exists nowadays. I once had a question from my Rebbe of Moshe Weinberger. There was a safer put out on a tale of the 13 beggars. I'm sorry, a tale of the seven beggars, the 13th tale of Sipurimaisios and the tale of the seven beggars. And it was a sefer, one of my favorites for him to this day, a sefer written by Rav Yair Dreyfus Shlita, the Rosh Hashiva of Siach Yitzchak in Efrat, Talmud Muvhag of sorts of Rav Shagar, another trailblazing individual who saw himself as a direct student of Rabbi Nachman, where he writes that the only people I can talk to are the people who say that they're students of Rabbi Nachman, whose parish on the Kutamaran is remarkable in its own way. Revaru Dreyfus gave a series of shirim and nachlaot on the 13th tale, Hashiva Batlarim, the seven beggars. 
And throughout the entire Sefer of Dreyfus is pointing out a certain severity of Rabbi Nachman's life. A certain sense that Rabbi Nachman wanted us to live on the brink. Rabbi Nachman wanted us to dance on the abyss. Rabbi Nachman wanted us to be aware of all of the reasons that things were difficult. To acknowledge all of those reasons. To recognize that those are all valid. Yet nevertheless, Afal Pikin and Daika to find within that abysmal experience the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And Rav Dreyfus, in a very poetic, beautiful way that only a tzaddik in Eretz Yisrael has the capacity, or only a Rebbe in Eretz Yisrael has the capacity of disclosing, speaks of his difficulty, his frustration with what Rabbi Nachman forces him to experience. And he says, Rebbe, why do you make us walk on this non-trodden path? Why are we forced to dance on the abyss? Why are we forced to walk along this very, very, very narrow bridge. Why couldn't we find ourselves on that well-troven, well-trodden path where everyone else walks? Why do we have to confront the abyss and the yeyush and the sveikos and the atzvus and all of the different things that Rabbi Nachman's Torah brings us in contact with? Why wouldn't it be enough to just teach us simcha, bistam, to be happy without that need to be happy in spite of all of the reasons not to be happy? And Rav Dreyfus has a lashon, and I can't speak for where Dreyfus is coming from. I've never met this Rebbe. But he says as follows in this book, in, this, in the Sefer, Chatuna Shel Avudim, The Marriage of the Lost, which is based on the fact that the, the heroic culmination of the 13th tale of Rabbi Nachman's Sipurimaisios is a marriage of two lost orphans in, in a pit that was dug into the mud covered by dirt and twigs which I'm not convinced doesn't describe all of our experiences. And Rav Dreyfus says as follows, he says, sometimes I'm overwhelmed by Rabbi Nachman's need to live on the brink. But ultimately, Rabbi Nachman, he says, only lived to 37. He only lived to 37, and I'm older now. I'm older, says Rav Dreyfus, to see that it's not necessarily the only way to look at the world. There's a way to look at the world that's lighter. There's a way to look at the world that's less heavy which is still, Amir Tzashem, going to be our goal in these series of Shirem. And I said this to my Rebbe of Weinberger. I don't remember when. It was before I, I really knew him. And I said, I read this in, in Rav Dreyfus' Sefer. The first thing he said was that he was also reading the Sefer of Rav Dreyfus at the time. And his Lashon, if I remember it correctly, and I don't want to, par- I'm paraphrasing. I'm not saying that this is Rav Moshe Weinberger's exact Lashon, but he said as follows. He says, Rav Dreyfus said very good. And he said, it would have been a very powerful statement had it not been about Rabbi Nachman. He said, because for Rabbi Nachman, we're talking about someone who saw me sofa olam ad sofo. That although Rabbi Nachman only lived 37 years, he was older than time. He was, a t- he was from a place of ancient days, of Atik Yoimen. A time beyond what we can describe as youthfulness or old age. Rabbi Nachman lived in a space beyond those binary oppositions. And therefore, when Rabbi Nachman teaches us to live our lives in a certain way, in the shadow of a certain awareness, it's not necessarily meant to be understood through the sociocultural or even practical or phenomenological elements that animate his thought but it's a thought that shatters all of those categories. It's a thought that remains significant in spite of all of that. 
And that's the path we're going to continue to take, that yes, the path of Rabbi Nachman is difficult, but ultimately it's the path that Rabbi Nachman understood that his followers and those who had a desire to connect to him in any small way or his teachings in any small way were going to need to follow. Now, yes, as we said, Rabbi Nachman's body is buried in Uman. And according to certain Sadiqim, Ravichamaya Morgenstern Shlita, his neshama is also found in Yushalayim. And it's not a stira chas v'shalom. Anybody who listened to any word that I had to say about Ravichamaya from beginning to end, and we're still speaking about Ravichamaya. When a person learns the ma'amarim of Ravichamaya and the discussions of Ravichamaya Morgenstern about the distinction between Uman and Yushalayim, Ravichamayr is not chas v'shalom coming to tell somebody what to do, whether to be an Uman or Yushalayim. Ravichamayr is simply showing that both are true. And if there's any ultimate truth that comes out of Ravichamayr's Torah, it's that. It's that on the level of Keser, both Ayin and Ani are true. Both something and nothing are true. But putting that aside for perhaps forever, Rabbi Nachman is also found in his book. Rabbi Nachman is also found in his Sefer. And I want to read to you a statement from Rabbi Nachman before we become introduced to another tzaddik, one of the Mamshiche Derech of Breslov, Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman from Chibin. We're going to look in the first volume of Lakuta Maran right now, and this is going to be the 192nd teaching, Kuf Tzadi Beis. Rabbi Nachman says as follows. He says, and even if a tzaddik is forced to write his words down in a book for the sake of memory, so that there should be a continuity to his words, when forgetfulness and darkness occlude the mind, or historical prevention has prevented us from grasping the panim of the tzaddik, and we're forced to embrace the written trace of the tzaddik. Forgetfulness occludes the book as well. You may think that a book is ultimately the same as the thought or the words or the face of the living tzaddik, Rabbi Nachman says, no, most of the time the book suffers from the trauma of forgetfulness as well, and it becomes a dead text with a dead author, where the text is freed from its confines of who wrote it, because it's no longer significant. Chas v'shalom. Rabbi Nachman continues, and he says, Hainu keshachas v'shalom niptar ha'chacham shechidesh adibor. When God forbid the wise individual, the tzaddik who had created this idea or written this idea down or was the renewer of this idea when he passes away, when he dies, and forgetfulness occludes and clouds all the worlds and all the pages of the book. Like the Pasuk says in Tehillim, I have been forgotten like the dead from the heart showing us that there's an inherent connection between the concept of death and forgetfulness, something that the Arizal brings down and Chazal bring down already, that to forget something is also to die a little bit. 
Because when the idea was alive in my mind, that was an extra level of chayus. When the person that I wanted to connect to was alive in my mind, that was an extra connection, an extra yichud. And when the forgetfulness falls upon that and the connection dies from my memory, it's a certain aspect of death. It's a bechina of death. And we're going to, Be'ezras Hashem, at the end of this class, get into what I mean, or what Rabbi Nachman means, or what the tzaddikim mean with the word bechina, an aspect of. But it's an aspect of death. And then forgetfulness and occlusion and darkness hover upon the pages of the book themselves. Rabbi Nachman comes along and he says, Yesh There's a suggestion for this. Now the word Eitzah in Rabbi Nachman, I, I can't begin to describe what the word Eitzah means. A person has to read the introduction of Rabbi Nassim to Lukutim Maran, where he expresses the incredible chiddush that not only are Rabbi Nachman's Torah speaking at the loftiest level of the secrets of creation, but they also are capable of descending down to the level of etzos pshutos, of simple suggestions, to the point that Rabbi Nassan, through the direction of Rabbi Nachman, published a sefer referred to as Lakute etzos, a culmination of certain teachings in Lakute Maran that were specifically meant to be suggestions for daily behavior. Or, as my very good friend, who's listening to the shir, Micah said before I started the shir, that the true chiddush of Rabbi Nachman and really the only sefer that Rabbi Nachman wrote was the sefer Hamidos, the sefer of Aleph Beis, which are pure suggestions without any reasoning behind them. Ultimately, when Rabbi Nachman says the word Eitzah, he's saying that don't think my Torah remains up high in the abstract realms. It also means something in your life. And like we saw before, that Rabbi Nachman really just wanted to write a book about halacha, how to deal with the minutia of the laws of the Torah in the day-to-day. And instead, what we got, almost like Bidyevet, is Lukute Maharan. So when Rabbi Nachman says he has an Eitzah, it's a rule. He's telling us something here. There's an Eitzah to, to move beyond the forgetfulness that traumatizes a text. There's an Eitzah to move beyond the forgetfulness that enters into the Sefer. Rabbi Nachman says as follows, V'yesh Eitzah lezeh. There's a suggestion for this. To imagine in your mind as if you're connected to the tzaddik themselves when you're learning their words. As it's expressed in Sefer Yerushalmi, in the Mo'ori Naim, HaKadosh has a remarkable teaching on this, a remarkable teaching which Bezra Hashem I'll post after the shir. That when you're learning from a book that seems so disconnected from the living tradition, a person has to imagine as if, that that Tana is Omed Lefanav. Now, as if, for our tzaddikim, is not simply imagination. It's a realm of phenomenological experience wherein something is true even though it's not true. When Chazal tell us that on Shabbos we have to see to it as if ki'ilu komlach techa asuya, as if ki'ilu all of your work is done, or when the Rambam in Hilchos Tefillah writes that a person has to have in mind ki'ilu omed lefnei ha-melech as if you're standing in front of a living king, the word ki'ilu seems extraneous, it seems extra. But what Chazal mean and what our tzaddikim mean when they say ki'ilu is that imagine yourself as if you're in that experience and ultimately on a spiritual level it is true on the level of the neshama that that is what is taking place. That even though the tzaddik is dead and even though the Rebbe is dead and even though the Chacham who brought us this teaching is dead, 
Nevertheless, it's our responsibility to imagine it as if, in an ontologically real way, that tzaddik is still present in our lives in some way. And Rabbi Nachman continues and he says, a person has to imagine that Sayyar Kashas Alimud Ki'ilu Hatama Owen Lafanov, as if this teacher is standing in front of them. Because in the book of the wise individual, there is the trace and the image of that wise individual. And Rabbi Nachman was teaching this Torah when he was still alive, before the publishing of the Sefer of Maran. Because these statements and these letters that are traced and engraved within the book, they are the aspect of the wisdom of that tzaddik, of the soul of that tzaddik, and the face of that tzaddik. Nimtza, we find, says Rabbi Nachman, his mind, his soul, and his face, each of which are specifically and precise chosen terms, which we're not going to get into. Which is his image explicitly. They are contained within the letters and the words of the Sefer. Al Kain says Rabbi Nachman, therefore Nimtza, Bechol Sefer Vesefer, in every book, the visage and the face and the image and the expression and the desire and the hopes of he who allowed these words to come into the world. Meaning, the derech of Torah that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has allowed for Rabbi Nachman to disclose into this world. Because without HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Rabbi Nachman is nothing. That's very important to remember for myself. The derech of Avedis Hashem that HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed to come into the world through the tzaddik Rabbi Nachman, and even after Rabbi Nachman's death, to be imprinted on the pages of the Sefer Lukut Maran, some way, somehow, through spooky action at a distance, by learning the words of the Sefer, we are connecting to the living path of that tzaddik. We are finding hope. We are accessing our guide who teaches us how to walk along that shvil menhatsad, that, that pathway to the side that is forgotten by all people other than those who need it and who are lost already. That gesher tzar ma'od ma'od. Al-Kain, therefore, we find that the Demus Yukno of the Chacham is within the Sefer itself. So too, according to the face and the spirit of that Tzaddik, are the words in that book going to be written. Because if Rabbi Nachman was different than what we experience of him, then the Sefer of Lukut Maran would be different. So Rabbi Nachman teaches us that you want to know how to connect to me. It's going to be in my Sefer as well. It's not only by my Kever, it's also going to be in my Sefer.
With the remaining time that we have, I'm going to try and introduce us to certain neshamos, certain personalities in the history of Breslov. And it's uh, almost a bizayon. And my tefillah is that it should not be a bizayon to try and talk about each of these tzaddikim quickly. But Hamalacha Maruba, there's great work to be done. The Balabayas Doichek and the owner of the house is, is pushing on us and, and it, there's an urgency to the moment. And things are important that we learn how to understand the essence, even if we're moving quickly. After Rabbi Nachman, there was Rabbi Nassim. There was Rabbi Nassim of Nimerov. person who looks at Chaim Maharan, looks at any of the writings of Rabbi Nassim, there was no Rabbi Nachman without Rabbi Nassim. Rabbi Nassim gave us everything. It's not by coincidence in my own humble opinion of my own humble demyonus of myself that we started the series of Shirim on the Arset of Rabbi Nassim. And without Rabbi Nassim, there's no Rabbi Nachman. Rabbi Nassim had a student, Rav Nachman Tolchiner. I said before it was Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman from Shabin. That's wrong. It's Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman Tolchiner. <coughs> Rabbi Nassim had a Talmud Rav Nachman Tolchiner, who was this Talmud Mufak. And Rabbi, Na- Rabbi Nachman Tolchiner had a son, Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman. Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman, who was born in the 1800s and passed away in the early 1900s, is one of the direct pathways of how we understand the words of Rabbi Nachman, the living tradition of Rabbi Nachman in this world. In the last four years of Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman's life, he met a student of his who would continue the tradition and continue in carrying out the teachings of Breslod, Le'olame Ad, Ad Vyas HaMashiach. And that was Rav Levi Yitzhak Bender, so we have a four-stage process. We have Rabbi Nachman, we have Rabbi Nassan, we have Rabbi Nachman of Tolchin, or Rabbi Nachman of Chazan. We have his son, Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman, Tolchiner, and Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman, Tolchiner's student, Rav Lady Yitzhak Bender. And from there, the stream of Breslov continues to exist with all of the living tzaddikim. Now, Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman wrote a number of svarim. He wrote the Sefer Koichwe, or which is a remarkable sefer in and of its own right, a sefer that is malhives alavavos. He also wrote a book about mindfulness and, and, and cognitive presence, which he never published, and he asked it to be published. And Halavai, had it been published, perhaps we could find some comfort in this world. But until the time that that sefer is published, that very small sefer that is quantitatively minimal but qualitatively profound, we have snippets here and there where Rav Avon ben Rav Nachman speaks of the capacity of the Jewish mind and the capacity of our thoughts like Rav Nachman and Rav Nassim taught to control our experience, to form our experience. One of the things that Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman is most famous for is the Sefer Bir Halikutim. The Sefer that we spoke about at the end of last week that when I came to Rav Itchemeyer Morgensternschlita, he saw it and he said, this is the only way to learn Likutimaran properly. Abira Likutim, like we said, is a very difficult sefer to understand, at least for myself. But in the introduction, in the second hakdam of the Mahaber to the sefer of Bira Likutim, in his explanation on the teachings of Rav Nachman, Rav Avin ben Rav Nachman writes down 18 klalim, the 18 principles that a person needs to hold in mind when learning the sefer of Likutimaran. Lahavdil, they're hermeneutical principles. They're ways to look at this book. They're ways to approach this architectural edifice that Rabbi Nassim describes 
so poignantly in the introduction to Lukutamaran, has rooms within rooms with ceilings and attics and basements and hidden passageways that a person gets lost within the meandering hallways of the Sefer Lukutamaran. The Yudchas Klalim of Bir Alikutim are almost a guidebook. They're almost a, a map that allows us to walk safely and exit and enter safely into the Sefer of Lukutamaran. And while we're not going to have time to go over the Yudchas Klalim in particular, what we will be able to discuss is the general framework that Ravavim and Ravnachman was trying to create for us as we embrace, as we approach, as we prepare to enter into the book of Lukutim Maharam, into the Sefer of Lukutim Maharam, into the book where the face of the writer is found. That as Rav Avram Tzvi Kluger Shlita, one of the Gedolei Tzadike Breslov of our generation, writes so beautifully in the introduction to the verse volume of his teaching, Nezer Yisrael, that the first introduction to the Sefer Yitzira, the book of creation, tells us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world in three ways. B'Sefer, B'Soifer, B'Sipur. In the book, in the conveyor of the information of the book, and the story of the book. Now the parish of the Gra and all of the different perushim of Rabbi Nachman himself on this idea notwithstanding, what Rav Avram Svi Kluger Shlita points out is that one of the chidushim of Svarim HaKadoshim is that the Sipur emerges in it. That there's a story being told. That we're not simply learning a book. We're experiencing our own personal story. And I believe very deeply that when one encounters the Sefer of Lukutim Aran, they're embarking on a new shlav, a new level of their story. And so these Yudchas Klalim allow us to understand how to interpret our own personal narrative of our engagement with the writings and the teachings of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. How our personal story, our own subjectivity, our own feelings of forlornness and being lost and failure and hope that exceeds beyond the limits of hopelessness and joy that survives sadness. How all of our personal narrative can be found within the Sefer that we find ourselves in. That the Sipur, the story, the narrative that is being told through our encounter with the Sefer of Lukutamaran is given room and is given shape by Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman. Now, in these Yudchas Klalim, if I had to try and summarize what they mean to me, what Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman is trying to say is that this book that you're about to learn is not simply a book. It's a spiritual concept. It's a spiritual concept. Now, this shouldn't be a Chiddush to us because we have a deep understanding of the holiness of books, that the Jewish people understand the the sacred nature of books and that books are not simply documents that convey information, but rather they are living documents that not only convey information, but they allow for access to the soul of the teacher of the book, like Rabbi Nachman said. That the author of the book very well may die, but the death of the author results in the author being buried in the book. Contrary to the philosophical notion that the death of the author means that the book no longer has any structure or significance, following the teachings of Chazal, the death of the author simply means that the author's neshama is now buried in the text. 
to the point that all of the svarim that we have on our shelves, written by holy tzaddikim and true tzaddikim, are the resting place of those tzaddikim. And when we open the books, we're not simply learning their ideas, but we have an encounter with that tzaddik. We have an encounter with the reality of that, that holy soul lived in this world. The 18 Klalim are a framework of how to look at the book of Lukutim Aran as something more than a book, as a spiritual concept. Now, first and foremost, and most important to our project in these series of Shirim, Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman starts us off with letting us know that throughout all of the individual teachings of Lukutim Aran, each and every Torah can be understood in isolation that each and every Torah is a world unto itself. You do not have to understand the quote-unquote worldview or philosophy or spiritual message of Rabbi Nachman as it emerges out of the book of Lukutim Aran to appreciate a singular teaching. But everything that you could possibly need in terms of your relationship with Rabbi Nachman's Torah can be found in each and every singular teaching. Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman refers to this as the secret of Mineyubay. Mineyubay in and of itself. Typically our assumption of relationship is that there's one thing and then there's another thing and then the relationship takes place between those two separate things. Mineyubay means that the relationship is found within each thing in its essential nature. So that in order to understand what Rabbi Nachman wants from us, what the Ratzon of Hashem, according to Rabbi Nachman, is, all one needs to do is learn one Torah. Now this goes back to the end of the Shirim that we gave on Rav and the Leshem, that the Prat contains the Klal within it. That even the smallest Shemets of infinity gives a person a full image of infinity. Beyond Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman's announcement that one not need to feel the pressure of learning the entire Sefer of Lukutim Aran in order to have a grasp of Rabbi Nachman, he goes on to say as well that Rabbi Nachman's words are precise. Rabbi Nachman's words demand incisive iyun, that it's not enough to read the Torah. A person has to walk with the Torah. A person has to recognize that in each Torah of Lukutim Aran that they learn, there is an etza, there is a human suggestion, there is a suggestion of how to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And instead of giving in to that all-too-natural and all-too-human temptation to devour more and more knowledge, sometimes the avoda is to stop ourselves and say, Ad kan tavo, I'm going to walk with this Torah. I'm going to live it. I'm going to think about it and contemplate it. And when Rabbi Nachman brings down a Pasuk, I'm going to understand the Pasuk through the Mephorshim of that Pasuk and through the context of the Parak of that Pasuk. That Lakuta Maran is not simply quoting things, but it's giving a context for things. The second Akuda that I want to bring out from the Yudchas Kalam of Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman is that when a person learns the Torah of Rabbi Nachman, on a certain level, the mechanisms begin to change that allows us to have access to the ideas that Rabbi Nachman is describing. The goal is not simply intellectual knowledge or philosophical knowledge or even mystical knowledge, but rather it's an experience of the ideas themselves. That the words of the Svarim HaKadoshim, the words of the Sefer Lakuta Maran, become like buttons that we press that give us access to the experience itself. 
The same way that we say on the Mo'adim that the light of the Mo'ed that happened in the past is present in the present, so too the light of the Torahs that Rabbi Nachman taught are present when a person learns those Torahs. And on a cognitive level, as we study each and every Torah, we can force ourselves to be mindfully aware of the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that can be found specifically through that specific or particular teaching. That this is a living book. We're engaging a living text. Yes, it's the text that was written by an author who has died, by a tzaddik who has passed away. But ultimately, by engaging this text, what we do is we awaken ourselves to the possibility of finding hope on that shviel menhatzad. And lastly, and it's incredible how much more I feel that I need to say, to the point that I'm terrified that I haven't said enough in this year, and I hope it makes sense. Rabbi Nassan wrote a book called Lekutei Tfilos. Lekutei Tfilos, the collected prayers, are a tefillah for each Torah, a davening to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that each Torah should impress upon us a way of connecting to Hashem more. Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi Nassan write in the 25th teaching in the second volume of Lekutei Maran that tov ma'od la'asos tefillos min Torah. It's very good and very important to turn your Torah into tefillah. Meaning to say, it's not enough to remain saturated with the intellectual satisfaction of ideas. For that, you don't need Rabbi Nachman. It's fundamentally and all important to transmit the ideas from the head to the heart, to break open the heart of stone and to open it up into a lev basar, into a heart of flesh, into a feeling heart, a heart that feels HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a heart that knows HaKadosh Baruch Hu intuitively beyond any rational logic. That even though rationality says yeyush, 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 the heart says ancient yeyush ba'ulam klau. That even though the mind says hester, 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 the heart says afilu Ultimately, what Rav Avram ben Rav Nachman is trying to do for us is to give us access to what Rabbi Nassim suggested. Turn your Torah into a prayer. Make your Torah personal. Make every idea that you learn from Rabbi Nachman something that has an impact on your day-to-day life, like a Shulchan Aruch, a Kitzur Shulchan Aruch that Rabbi Nachman really wanted to write. And these Yudchets Chalim allow us to understand that this is a living book. It's a book that's alive. And because it's alive, it can help us to pray. And if it can help us to pray, it can help us draw closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Be'ezrus Hashem, next week we're going to be starting out with the fifth teaching in Lukut a teaching about the distinction between the levels of experience referred to as ze and ko, this and that. What it means to live with a mindful presence of being where I need to be, or chas the anxiety of running away from where I am and feeling I need to be elsewhere. And Be'ezus Hashem, as we enter into these teachings through the context of the Yud Ches Kolom of Lukut Maran we will have the capacity together to turn these teachings into tefillos for each and every one of us. And to recognize that the goal for Rabbi Nachman and connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not knowledge, because tachlis hayadiyah shaloneda, the apex of knowledge is reaching a place of realizing that we know nothing, but rather it's tefillah, to have a broken heart and to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu through our own brokenheartedness, through our lev basah.